0: Welcome to the Sex, God, and Chaos podcast, a conversation built to help you address the mess, connect the dots, and defeat addiction. Doing your work matters because if nothing changes, then nothing changes. Life is tough, and we're here to help. I'm your host, Ben Derrick, and as always, I'll be joined by Roan Hunter. Let's jump right in. Roan, another day, another dollar. Is that how that works?
1: I Yeah, I think so. Because, I mean, you know, the, the money from this podcast, dude, it's rolling in. Rolling in. in. Yeah, yeah.
0: Almost faster than my two teenage sons can spend it. <laughs> right? I've yeah. got a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old, and I'm like, I'm literally going to have to make $6 million a year to pay for all of the things that oh, yeah. you're involved with, Yeah. Right? Well,
1: dude, here's the good news. Uh, it only gets worse.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks a lot. Like, every time one of my sons walks to the pantry, I'm like, I cannot afford that. Oh, right?
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. It, and then, you know, the, the goal is, it's like, you know, I, we tell young couples, just, you know, kids at home, whatever, the goal is the empty nest, mm. man, that's, and well, with the kids off the payroll. That's the goal. That's the ultimate goal. Oh,
0: uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know if I promote that idea. Yeah, right? oh, At 43, just... I'm still <laughs> hanging on. <laughs> Listen, we don't do this enough, and I think we should do this at the top of this episode. We've named this podcast after a book that you and Eva put out that's Making Waves, and I think we could explain like what, what was the thought process behind the sex, God, and chaos idea, and then we can let our listeners know where to go grab that resource.
1: Yeah, it just certainly, um, when it just you look at the culture today and this issue of sex and sexuality, and boy, it is certainly just confusion and chaos, um, and you know, the God piece, uh, is, is fundamental, uh, uh, we believe, uh, because, you know, that's the, that's the creator, uh, of the universe and, uh, he's in it and sexuality is just so core to who we are, uh, as human beings. Um, and, and just the brokenness that we see and then the chaos and, and really, you know, a big part of it is the chaos of betrayal because when, when sexual betrayal occurs in a relationship, it's interesting because it cuts across the human soul, um, and the response of it is very similar. It doesn't matter male, female; um, the the reaction and the response is pretty well defined because of the nature and the depth of the hurt in this sexual betrayal.
0: Yeah, that hurt is so cuts so deep, and I, I, you know, how I've experienced sitting with people. In that part of their journey it's an interesting dichotomy people who don't even believe in god can be mad at god for allowing those things to happen so I love the fact that we're throwing that in there not in a way that's trying to force people to believe in God but being honest about the fact that when you experience sexual chaos God is going to be a part of the conversation one way or another right well
1: it's just you know I believe that you know our sexuality is uh, is really the most sacred part of who we are um, because uh, it's like our creator, Placed within each of us, male and female, uh, his greatest aspect of who he is—the ability to create life—and so that sexuality is such is the most sacred part uh, of a human being. And when it is violated, whether we violated ourselves uh, looking at porn, thinking that uh, it has no effect, uh, or uh, we are violated by betrayal in some way, shape, or form uh, of a sexual nature. Uh, boy, it it is uh, it's a violation of the most sacred part of who we are as a human.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I just uh, noticed you guys released on social media. It's, it, the book is now available on Audible. It right? is, Which yes. is the preferred method for so many today.
1: Yeah, right? you know, you young people, you, you don't know how to read. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, I just offended all the of young oh, people. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, that's
0: geez. what you do best is offend people. So probably what uh, we should do equal is... Equal opportunity yeah, offender. Yeah, let's get to the... Get, before this goes off the rails, let's <laughs> yeah. get to the guests. So tell us about our guests today.
1: Yes, uh, today, man, we got a uh, special guest. Marnie Fareeb. Marnie is the founder of Bethesda Workshops in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, She's written several books and uh, she is just a tremendous uh, source of uh, knowledge uh, and truth and wisdom. Uh, She's been doing this work for uh, about 30 years now. And uh, man, she uh, is really a pioneer in this arena. And so we are so glad uh, that she's on with us today.
0: Yeah, like most of our, our guests, uh, she has her own story
1: mm-hmm. that really
0: weaves into the topic, the theme of this podcast. So we're eager for you to hear this interview between Roan and Marnie Furry.
1: So we are excited today uh, to be back with you on the Sex, God and Chaos podcast and man we've got a super special guest uh, somebody that has certainly uh, meant a lot to us and um, and even in this whole arena that we work in. Uh, Marnie Faree is truly one of the pioneers uh, in the work of gosh, everything uh, that we do, sexual addiction, uh, partner, betrayal, trauma, um, uh, on all sides of the fence. Uh, She is the founder and um, director of Bethesda Workshops in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, She's written several books, uh, and man, we are just delighted to have you with us today, Marnie. Thank you for, for taking the time.
2: Thank you, Roan. I'm so glad to be with you and appreciate the work y'all are doing. I remember when you and Eva came and sat in to observe all of the Bethesda workshops and I I can just picture your dear your dear <laughs> smiling faces and presence there with us.
1: Oh yeah. Well, you know, one of the great things that came out of that, uh, we we knew Eli Machen, and, right. uh, and that, that's when I uh, got the first time I'd ever met Jim Cress, And so yes. uh, forever indebted for uh, making that connection because those two guys are just, uh, man, they are world class. And uh, I know hey. they worked with you there at Bethesda for years and, again, yes. uh, just people that have meant a lot to us. And so—
2: Yes, um, yes.
1: Gosh, Marnie, where to start? You know, I uh, one of the things we usually just start with is just kind of, you know, tell us your story. Um, and so, you know, kind of how, how did you get into this line of work and what led you here?
2: Well, you know, I always say, Rome, that uh, I didn't choose this work. I <laughs> believe with all my heart that this work chose me. And it's the result of... My own story, like so many of us in in this field, us old timers especially, um, I was born into a home that was filled with sexual addiction. Uh, a dearly beloved pastor, Christian educator, dad who struggled all of his life with sex addiction, uh, including with um, having bringing other people into our home who were sexually abusive and exploitive with me. So. Um, my mother died when I was very small, so I'm kind of the classic. I identify primarily as a grateful sex, love, and relationship addict, and kind of the classic about that from my generation at least. Today's generation of women are struggling just as much with with plain pornography and all the online stuff as men do. My generation uh, was somewhat more of the relationship, love, addiction Kind and that for sure was my story. Such attachment breaches in my home and in my life, uh, overt. Fifteen years of sexual abuse trauma, lots of family dysfunction. So I have the classic setup setup for coping for surviving with uh, very attached, very deep, very connected uh, affairs, um, promiscuity, then affairs throughout both marriages. Um, until I entered recovery in 1991, which was prompted by both mental health issues, I was depressed, I was anxious, I was having PTSD symptoms, um, but also I was diagnosed with cervical cancer caused Mm. by HPV. So that's what really got my attention uh, and began a journey uh, in 1991, a first sobriety date in 1992. So out of that story, I wanted to work and help other women uh, and also men and Went back, got a counseling degree, uh, licensed marriage and family therapist, began working in the field, started for what we are aware of, at least, was the first intensive workshop for women struggling with mm-hmm. sex addiction. I would tell uh, Dr. Pat Carnes and then also my dear friend and mentor, Dr. Mark Laser, y'all wrote great books and the pronouns are rock. So um, I got to got to to be a missionary for the message of hope and healing for women struggling with sex addiction. So that began in 1997, so 25 years ago this year. We're taking this toward the end of 2022. And, um, And ultimately, that grew into what today is Bethesda Workshops. So we offer workshops for male sex addicts, for female sex addicts. Those are separate. For partners of addicts, then for couples, we have a program for teens who attend a workshop with their parents. It's a systemic family-based program. And then we're just launching a kind of second-tier workshop. It's not clinical, but uh, a spiritual direction for specifically working on one's vertical mm-hmm. relationship with God, and I'm real excited about that. So have been doing this work a long time, was very, very surprised uh, personally within the last few years to discover that I'm also the partner of a sex addict. I knew there had been significant challenges in my own 40-year marriage. I had done everything I knew to do to correct those, to work on me, to ask God to improve me, to help me, um, to beg, cajole, (laughs) plead with, um, push and pull um, my husband toward health and healing, which he was not willing or interested in doing, and I finally chose to separate. I found that living in this complete uh, dearth of any kind of connection, and for years and years and years, a very, very challenging 15 last years especially, was replicating the pain of my childhood, uh, of the disconnect, of the not being chosen, of the not being valued, not being seen, and I couldn't live like that anymore. I did not plan to divorce. I just needed to not to get some structural space, so not structurally be living in a situation that legitimately should have been a, a connected, intimate, uh, genuine partnership rather than roommates. And I was felt such relief about that and was pleased about that and quite, quite shocked about a year into that separation to make a very accidental discovery, wasn't looking for it, that my husband had been acting out probably for decades, wow. with very clear and irrefutable evidence. And by that point I was done. So surprisingly, I'm now divorced uh, after having been married for 40 years. This was not ever where I imagined that I was gonna be. It was not where I would have chosen to be. Uh, and it is health for me. And, I mean. and today, uh, and now for a good period of time, I. Surprisingly to perhaps especially some of your your partner listeners I am living my best life. I I am alone. Uh, I'm not partner, not in relationship and I am content and joyful and serene and um and full and um just healthy and yeah. very 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 grateful despite all of the trauma that mm-hmm. I went through, like any other partners, around that enormous betrayal and all the years that I stayed, um, and so i've I've experienced all of that too, and yet I was so wonderfully positioned to go through all of that by all of my thirty years of work and the the clinical knowledge that I have in the work in the field, so uh, I'm surprised to be in this place, and I'm actually very, very grateful. Oh, so I'm wow. coming at this from both sides of this <laughs> this issue.
1: Yeah, well, certainly that's just a testimony to the work that you've done to be able to you know walk through that. Uh, obviously tragic uh, on so many levels, uh, but yet to come out on the other side, and certainly um, be, in a, be in a good place. Uh, and if you hadn't done the work, uh, you probably would have never been able to do that and would have stayed in a in a marriage that you did need to stay in because so many partners certainly do that. Um, right, uh, right. Yeah. So. Uh, yes. Well, yeah, thanks for sharing that part, Uh because I know that's all fairly recent, um, or at least in the last couple of years. and so That's correct. It is. Just another, yeah. another chapter in the story, right?
2: Another step in the journey. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Um,
2: I found that God is just as faithful on this side of the addictive coin as God is on, on the other side that I had lived and walked for so long. And so that's, that's comforting and reassuring and
1: mm-hmm. a great thing. Absolutely, yep. There's hope um, uh, for in in every situation, um, That's and right. I I think the key for all of us is like do your work, do your
2: work, do your work. Absolutely, oh, yeah. keep doing the work.
1: Oh yes. Yeah. So you know one of the things you said just in uh, growing up uh, in in the home you grew up in uh, I often say because you know my mother was having an affair um, and married um, um, just growing up in that atmosphere where there was it was very sexualized, certainly before I was even aware of what was going on because just the nature of uh, you know infidelity, and uh, my mother had very loose boundaries, and um, my dad uh, as well. He would you know make sexual jokes and those types of things, and I think you know I know for me that was part of the setup, and then of course you know the um, impending the you know the divorce and um, all the other pieces that go along with that um but but talk a little bit about the setup because we talk about that a lot and i think a lot of times people you know when we start talking about family and family systems um it's that 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 fifth commandment you know honor your mother and father uh is almost like uh it breeds this kind of sense of family loyalty and i love you know one of the things that you know i call them Jimisms you know the all of all of jim's little sayings but he talks about the fact that what we're doing is just we're naming and we're not blaming and so talk about the setup um and just for the 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 kind of the underpinnings of of an addiction acting out behaviors
2: well i think as my story and so many of our stories illustrate um, sex addiction is not about sex. This is an attachment-based intimacy disorder. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of the textbook, walking, talking, moving, breathing picture of an attachment-bereft person. Uh, with my mother's death, with my father's absence in every way. Uh, then you add sexual abuse, which in my case was a very nurturing, loving kind of relationships. I never, ever framed that as sexual abuse until I entered recovery. Uh, to understand the exploitation involved in that with this adult man and and me, um, but from that uh, I I learned for myself that that sex was the best survival. It was the best nurturer. That no one would nurture me without that. And so all those are classic classic setups. Um, I think we talk a lot at Bethesda workshops about. There is always honor in telling the truth. Hmm. And so what we're just asking is for people to break out of their denial, to acknowledge and tell the truth about their relationships. And while it's not about blame, there is legitimately blame that could be assigned. My father, your father and mother, bears responsibility for their own ill health and their either inability or unwillingness to address those things. That's that's the human condition. And if we are just all about blame, uh, and that is an important part of the journey, that anger, that intensity of the unfairness of this, the, the unrighteousness, of the injustice of this is an important part of getting in touch with that. And all of us need to visit that. And often that involves blaming perpetrators and people who didn't protect or were we're unhealthy in different ways. But if we stay stuck there, then we stay stuck as a victim. Mm-hmm. But what happens is when we name these things, when we come to understand them, when we can connect the dots between our trauma and our acting out or our trauma and our relationships, because, by the way, newsflash, this, these entire dynamics apply to partners too. Mm-hmm. They may not, not be acting out sexually. They may not be unfaithful in different ways at all. And these dynamics are the same. So when we can connect the dots between our belief systems, between how our history informed our belief system, I thought I had to be perfect, but I ha- or at least I had to look perfect. I thought that no one would choose me, which indeed was the case, including for forty years of a marriage. Mm. Um, I thought that everyone else's needs were more important than my own. All of those were belief systems that I learned growing up. And when we can connect that to their how for how those belief systems, those lies, those false negative internal core beliefs are impacting current day behavior and relationships, ah, then that doesn't necessarily change things automatically. But that gives us incredible knowledge, and knowledge is power, and that gives us motivation to want to break these patterns and, and change these things, and that's pretty priceless.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, just in talking about partners and um, the idea or the importance of um, them beginning to do their own work, and, yes. and certainly, you know, that's one of the things I appreciate appreciate about you is you've... you've certainly been on both sides um and so uh, so often you know a partner gets stuck in uh in kind of that victim mindset i mean they've definitely been victimized that's Absolutely. very very real um however uh, at, at at a point uh you've got to make a choice to begin to to move into that to move beyond it and so in working with partners um how do you help a partner that is let's just say stuck in that place
2: yeah it's it's a great question of course partners are victimized yeah. that the betrayal uh, around sex and relationships is bigger than anything else uh, this is a whole different animal than substances it or is. workaholism or or anything else so that is true but p- what we tell partners is Uh, It's not your fault. You got run over by the Mack truck. Yeah. It was barreling too fast down the road. It ran the red light, and here you are smashed out and 4,000 pieces on the pavement. And it is still your opportunity. You get to heal. You have to heal unless you want to stay smashed out on the pavement like this for (laughs) the rest of your life. And so... Um, to honor that pain Mm. is so important. Uh, And I know y'all do a great work about, about that and that honoring that partner's betrayal and coming from that model, Bethesda workshops does that too. And I truly believe this with all my heart, the partner's journey is harder because first you have to do the grieving work and the anger work and, and trying to make sense of your life and all of that stuff from all the betrayal trauma uh, and make, Decisions, learn to set boundaries and, and all of those kinds of things that honor self um, and, and do all of that work around what someone else has done. And like all of humanity, a partner also gets to, has to, if that partner is going to ultimately be um, her best self, his best self, their are male partners as well, uh, do this deeper work just of humanity. All of us have been wounded. All of us. No one escapes without being wounded. So in addition to this ginormous wound at the hands of the betraying person, uh, a partner has just been wounded by life like the rest of us, including very often in family of origin. So all of that work is the second tier that she has to do, uh, gets to do. And it's it's a harder journey, uh, it, it's an
1: important journey. It's a healing journey. It is. And, you know, I tell um, the the betrayal, the betrayer, um, the addict, uh, you know, these terms, uh, you know, even I often say, you know, we've got two certifications in sex addiction work and, and I are one. Um, however, I, I just don't like the term because, you know, it's, our our preferred term is sexual brokenness because the entire culture is sexually broken, sure. And and it's kind of our umbrella term. And certainly up underneath that, there's a lot of just broken sexuality in the way it manifests. However, at the root of it, as you've already said, it it is an intimacy disorder. And in working with couples, um, you we often say, you know, again. Comforting the hurt, working with that pain of betrayal—that uh, is so necessary and takes time. Uh, however, most of the problems that were in the marriage are now just magnified and amplified. Right. 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 For sure. Yeah, and it's it's it brings it all to the surface, and so you know this this thing that is so devastating can can be you know, the very yes. thing that that actually uh, brings you to the place of uh, you have the opportunity to have the relationship, the marriage that, you know, kind of, you know, was intended from the beginning.
2: Absolutely. It can be the doorway into healing. And I know y'all do so much couples work and have published a great book about <laughs> uh, about couples recovery and those kinds of things. Um I always like to say it takes two healthy people to have a healthy relationship. Now, one person can destroy a relationship. Sadly, one person can blow it up by mm-hmm. himself, by herself, on, on whatever that looks like, uh, and that's that's tragic. Um, and though to have a genuine, healthy relationship intimate in every way. I'm not talking sexually. There's so many more f- important forms of intimacy, I think, oh. um, than, than, than the, the sexual part. And it's going to grow out of all the other forms in the healthiest relationships. Um, but to genuinely create that healthy one flesh union, that healthy, attached, attuned, intimate bond, is going to take two healthy people. Because long-term um, Unhealthy will stay with unhealthy long-term. That's not fun, but usually there's some kind of balance and payoff about that. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's stable and it works. Again, I'm, I don't mean stable like healthy. It just, there's this equilibrium here in this relationship. They know the dance and they just keep doing it over and over and over. Uh, healthy will stay with healthy. And obviously that's what we as humans desire, and that's also God's plan for us. But long term, a really healthy person won't stay with an unhealthy person. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, that's that's what happened to me eventually. Uh, mm-hmm. just after I was in recovery for close to thirty years, and I just said, I can't do this wasteland anymore. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I found out that someone was significantly less healthy than I even thought. But. It's just an important systems principle, and it's it's not pejorative towards partners. It's not blaming them for anything. No. It's calling all of us uh, as humans into being the best people that we can possibly be.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that um, it's almost like the the two unhealthy people. It's like a three-ring circus it's a carnival uh it's uh but you know their dance kind of works in the way that it works it, it
2: works yeah. yeah oh yeah it might be miserable absolutely miserable but but they've been doing it a long time and they do know how to do it and they know what to expect and they pretty much get what they expect
1: yeah oh yeah <laughs> But I've seen it. You've seen it. I mean, you've lived it. Uh, I've man, lived uh, it. Yep, yeah, healthy. Uh, just if if somebody's growing and they're getting healthy and whole, uh, they they will not stay with someone that's that's unhealthy and and not not engaged in any kind of growth process.
2: Not not long term. Not for me. It was real long term. Um, but I just kept kept upping with God uh, until finally it was like. Even, even the guy of my understanding said, "Sweetheart, hmm. you, hmm. you, you are free uh, to to honor yourself."
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, D- divorce is not the unpardonable sin, you know. Uh, so, so. it's,
2: it's <laughs> not. It's brought me great freedom, and it's it's not the best plan for relationships. No, none of us would start this off thinking it's not going to work. But sometimes it's the the. Healthy
1: choice. It, it's necessary, absolutely. Um, so, in in working with uh, with men, and and I'm just going to use men as uh, you know, just, sure. just porn addicts, uh, the sex addict. Um, what would you say, Marnie, is just kind of the the one most important factor uh, if you could, like somehow, if there was one thing. And you've seen it over the years. Um, it's one thing that needs to be present uh, that's going to determine whether this guy's going to, like, turn the corner and, and do, a, do a 180, not a 360. Uh, but what, what's one thing that you would say is kind of critical in the process?
2: I always say, we share this at workshops, the the demarcation line that we see between the the men who make it uh, and those who don't, and not just sobriety, but, mm. but get to the deeper work, are those who are willing to be involved regularly, like multiple times a week in 12-step meetings. Yeah, yeah. It's really what I see. There's not a magic in the meetings and there's so many more things that hap- have to happen. But today's sex addiction fellowships, generally speaking, understand the connection between trauma and addiction. And so they are welcoming of um, the counseling work to look at the trauma, to look at the attachment and all those kinds of things. Um, there are 12-step programs around that. Adult Children of Alcoholics is the core of that, which is very specifically looking at dysfunctional families and how many of us were raised. Um, but in in the beginning, especially those early years, just to be uh, within the community of other healing people, to learn how to see people uh, of both genders, I am a f- fan of mm. mixed gender 12 step meetings uh, at a point in recovery to learn to see other people just as hurting people without all the objectification of mm. self and of others, um, to learn how to practice boundaries to to learn how to be transparent and vulnerable and tell the truth, how not to judge other people as we want to not be judged either. All of those kinds of things, how to own and deal with your stuff in step 10, how to have a spiritual, uh, develop that spiritual relationship in steps two and three. Doing that core work, I think makes a huge difference. And interestingly enough, it's the thing that many addicts don't want to do. They'll do counseling, but uh, <laughs> And they don't want to be part of a a twelve step group, and I think it makes a tremendous difference.
1: Oh yeah, I you know uh, we always say that you know the cure for what else is it is connection, and yes. the critical element is like you've got to get connected uh, with a healthy group uh, that's moving in the same direction. And yes. that's not necessarily a, like a church men's group or something uh, right because you've got to be with people that are like understanding uh, what you're dealing with, understanding the work that's necessary in in order to get on that path and and have others further down the road that can you know keep pointing you in the in the right direction.
2: Ab- absolutely. Uh, if there is a very healthy christian-based, faith-based support group that, is generally speaking formed similarly to the twelve steps. That's great, and mm-hmm. uh, we just highly recommend even still because most of those groups meet once a week. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, that that you need more than that, and for many of us, this was absolutely true. For me, being in twelve step meetings radically uh, changed my view of God. Yeah, uh, it it created within me, a real hunger and desire for the God of my understanding, which was a loving God, an affirming God, uh, accepting God, a very present with God, which was not the God that I experienced growing up because it was not the God modeled for me or taught within the f- church systems of which I was a part. Um, so it's it's a, a really wonderful, wonderful thing. I, I think the 12-step... Groups or or really healthy um, faith based groups are are your best shot at getting that healthy community um, because they're they're used to the vulnerability they're used to accepting people to just saying keep coming back <laughs> all, all you have to do is have a desire to live in sobriety and in and integrity keep coming back uh, and that's that's an enormous spiritual gift that's what God says
1: to us mm-hmm. uh, I often say it's 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 the real Jesus not the church Jesus they're very absolutely
2: very different yeah, um, yeah. I'm not sure the church the real Jesus would be very pleased with the church Jesus these days. I, but I, we, would, we would digress about that
1: <laughs> yeah we could we could do a, a whole series of podcasts we around that for sure could <laughs> yeah there's no doubt um but yeah, it it's that idea of you you just because you know this is an isolating, disconnecting, yes. um, uh, disorder, right? And so yes. if if I'm going to change that, I've got to get plugged in with a healthy community. That's I, right. I often say I, I I've been in recovery myself. You know, uh, yes, mine was 1990 um and you know there there wasn't a whole lot out there back in 1990 right. um I, right. I tell guys today man what's available uh is it's, it's pretty amazing uh,
2: including like this you know there's so many ways that you can connect you don't have to drive to be at a face to face meeting and that's that's wonderful i think you mentioned it before but um some wonderful podcasts and different things out there. The opposite of addiction is it sobriety,
1: it's connection. It is. That's it. Uh, yeah. I often say, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking for that magic bullet, you know, that, 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 that next thing that's going to like take all this away. And I've been at this for 32 plus years now. Yes. And you know, that, uh, I haven't found There's it. One. The one, no. the one thing that I tell guys all the time that, it's going to make the difference is is getting in a group uh, with other men, uh, other women that are moving in the same direction and that actually understand this and, and they get it. Um,
2: because see, that's what there in that group, we, we've lowered the risk of being able to say all of our awful stuff mm-hmm. and still be accepted because that's just the deal. So it helps counteract those false core beliefs that that almost all of us who struggle in these ways have. Of if you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. That's in fact, it. You go running from the room. You wouldn't accept me. You wouldn't. You wouldn't help me. Um, and I actually find this is true for partners as well. And partners especially uh, are very reluctant to go to group. Mm. But they get the same benefit. And to have um, to have another. Partner who is further down the road, especially who can help with with boundaries. I did a lot of um, work in Al-Anon in years past, just around trying um, to to do work around my desire to control and and fix uh, impaired and unhealthy people in my life, and to have a sponsor who could could say, you know that sounds a whole lot like control and not much like a boundary, which is to keep you safe. I'm like, Oh wow. Really? <laughs> of course you're right. So, you know, it's, it's the same, it's the same, it's the same setup. It's the same healing place.
1: Oh yeah. You know, Eva, we, uh, like we do our, we do a Monday night groups and you know, I, I do the men's group and Eva does the partners group and, boy, you are so spot on. Uh, You know, you've been doing this work a long time and uh, getting a partner to come to group is a challenge, and yes. and then they come and you know and it makes sense they get triggered because they hear somebody sharing something and um, yes and then they bail um, and you know Eva tells them we tell them like just just keep showing up it it will get better because you right you're gonna heal best with others uh, that have similar experiences yes oh yeah. But it is is sometimes it's just so hard to get them to you know, and, and oftentimes it's like, well, you know, he's the one that did this, you know, he's the problem, and you know, I I don't I don't really need to do this work or I don't need to go to that group. It's on him.
2: And at that point, I go back to the you've been run over by a Mack truck. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> he is the one who did this. Yeah, and you're the one that's played out on the car on the pavement. So. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you want to take yourself to the ER and then to the long-term um, loving rehabilitation. Oh yeah, for your heart and your spirit and your body and your belief system.
1: Yeah, you know, on the one thing that uh, it, and I think it's certainly a good thing that's happening. Uh, we're seeing more of the on the female side uh, where you know she's been the one that's betrayed, um, and I think in the past. Um, it's it's almost like uh, the husband, because of the shame. I think there's a lot of reasons why uh, it was this way in the past. Uh, they would not seek help, and oftentimes there would be a pretty quick divorce. Um, but we're seeing more um, of the you know females uh, seeking help, and and husbands coming with them. Uh, and are, are you seeing that? Um, in your world,
2: we we are not. It is still very hard for male partners to seek help. Yeah, um, we have so few coming to the healing for partners at Bethesda workshops. You know, we we love having them. We welcome them. Uh, they're so in the minority. Mm-hmm. It's a very underserved population still. Um, so you know, we've probably seen just a little bit of an uptick in that.
1: Yeah,
2: and not not nearly as much, um, male partners are just so, it's, it's a whole different deal. Uh, culturally, Yep. Uh, the stigma is worse, all of those kinds of things. And, uh, so deserve help and healing. And there are some good resources out there and it's, um, it's hard for them to, to choose to access them because mm-hmm. they often are in the minority. Um, and and that's that's sad because they true. need other men who have also been betrayed as well. Oh, so, yeah. Community's growing, um, but not nearly deep enough and fast enough to to tap into the enormous need.
1: Hmm. Yeah. It is. Uh, it's just. It is a different. Uh, the it affects men differently than it does uh, you know women partners and i think again lots of reasons for that but it at least it's you know being talked about and there yes. are there are some resources out there yes. um uh, yes. for for betrayed men partners today yes. uh, that weren't in the past so
2: yes for sure it therefore were- work for female help for female sex and relationship addicts is prob was probably 20 years ago
1: yeah oh yeah you know even i often talk you know when we we started our journey in 1990 and uh just there was just so little out there and and we just wandered in the dark uh i mean we had a good counselor but again uh he was a pioneer in christian sex therapy not sex addiction
2: uh, right. Uh, and those are two different things.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, at that time, probably one of the best people like you could. Sure. You could see. But, right. You know, that's one reason we just like, OK, you know, that's why we came up with our roadmap. map. Because at that level of crisis, as you said earlier, I often say, I don't think there's any greater crisis in a in a marriage relationship than right. sexual betrayal. Uh, yes, I mean, for sure. The death of a child certainly, but the
2: death of a child. But, Other than that, there's there's nothing that compares to it.
1: Nothing, um, and yeah. it, uh, I I just. I often say the uh, betrayal trauma. It 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 proves the existence of God because it cuts across human nature. The yeah. the response and the reaction and and the symptoms are pretty well defined, um, uh, unless somebody's just already checked out of a relationship. But if they're in it, uh, boy, it it just does a number on on yes. so many um, on such. It a It just hits deep every
2: energy. single category
1: of humanity oh yeah there's no doubt um so uh just let's talk about bethesda for a minute i know uh you've you've mentioned it um just you know the work that you guys do there is just tremendous uh has been for so many years um and i know you've got uh you're doing the, the work with teenagers now um or starting those workshops um just, let's talk about that for a minute because this this pandemic uh is right is just absolutely devastating um an entire generation um
2: right right well we actually started the program pre-pandemic so in 2019 um and I don't really feel like it's off the ground yeah. i know there's such a need for it and people When I talk about it or present about it, whether they're counselors, pastors, whoever, like, oh, yes, there's such a need for this. I have so many people. I could fill this thing up. And we have canceled way more Mm. of these workshops than we have held. They're gender-specific, so teen females uh, come um, by themselves. Teen males come at a separate time by themselves. Um, And guess who's the holdup?
1: The parents
2: the parents oh yeah absolutely the parents you know the attitude is can Can i send you my 16 year old kid no <laughs> we are this is not our first rodeo we are not putting teenagers in a hotel dealing with these things and besides it's not going to help the problem this is a systemic issue Yeah. so the teen is usually acting out in some manner the dysfunction of the family now on the other hand Legitimately, Teens today are even up against it so much more than we were, or even than my kids who were nearing 40 were, uh, just because of our culture. So, so there's that very legitimate, everybody's truly almost doing it these days. Christian kids, non-Christian kids, yeah. sexting, looking at inappropriate stuff, all of that is just the norm. So there is that level, and still... Uh, within the family system, there are issues. And we find that by the time a teen uh, gets to us, he or she is really pretty ready to be there. When they hear, we're not going to identify you as the problem, we're going to look at everybody in this family system and give all of you tools and a safe place, you can really talk honestly with each other, the teens go, Hmm. okay, I'm I'm in for that. Oh, yeah. Um, But the parents... um, you know i'm i'm too busy uh we'll say some parent yeah well maybe that's part of the problem <laughs> or it just um that's that's really the hold up i i don't know that that problem that that program frankly is going to survive yeah. it just Gosh. we keep putting it on the calendar and again canceling most of them because we don't have the the enough people and we continue to get calls but not enough at the times that we're scheduling you know so, I don't know about that. I know there is a need. Mm-hmm. We need healthier families. We need families that are genuinely talking about healthy sexuality. Way more than don't have sex before you married. Um, I mean, that's ridiculous. That's what the the sum total of what we're telling our kids. Um, talking about healthy relationships. Talking about consent. Talking about objectification. All of these kinds of things. We we need that and. I'd love for Bethesda Workshops to be able to continue to step into that space, and it's challenging.
1: Yeah, it's just such a tremendous need, you know, I often think, you know, what if we could head this stuff off at the pass? Of course.
2: Uh, Yeah, Yeah, do some prevention. Yeah. And we really look at that, the teen workshop, now we've got kids who are hugely, hugely, I mean, they're addicts. Yeah. We don't call them that. They call themselves that (laughs) Uh, after a day or so, they're like, hey man, you know, they, they don't care about the label anymore. Um but to be able to get them get them some systemic um prevention mm-hmm. would be so wonderful.
1: Oh so. yeah. Um yeah, and it's just like, you know, parents want their, you know, fifteen year old to come to counseling. Um I, I don't work with, you know, adolescents and teenagers, but uh, several of our therapists do and do. And, yeah. and it's like, well, you know, can, when are the parents coming? And, you know, that they, they just want to bring the child and you know, let the right. let the counselor fix them.
2: And I hope your counselors will say, we're glad to provide services for your 15-year-old. A part of that, is, a component of that is mandatory family sessions and oh, yeah. sessions independently with the parents and all of that. It is.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Because sure. yeah. otherwise
2: they won't do it.
1: <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, as far as Bethesda, uh, just, you know, tell our listeners how to, um, Yeah, you know, what's the easiest way to contact uh, yeah. Bethesda?
2: Yeah, thanks. Um, we have a very extensive website, so there's lots of information, even if someone isn't interested in attending one of our specific events. Uh, intensives there's so much free information on the website mm-hmm. it's bethesda workshops floor with an s.org org so that's the best place um, emailing is always good you're also always welcome to call those contact numbers in our emails are on on the website um, we're we're glad to chat with you and would love to give you a huge jump start, whether you're an addict or a partner in that healing process.
1: Mm-hmm. And we certainly highly recommend indoor support. and Thank
2: you. I know you do.
1: Absolutely. Um, and uh, I know you've written you've written several books, right? A few. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I uh, no stones uh, out of the doghouse uh, for 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 Christian men.
2: Christian men. Yeah. yeah, those are the two primary ones. No stones. Women redeemed from sex addiction. Uh, one of the earliest books about women's struggle with sex and love addiction, coming from a Christian perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, out of the Doghouse for Christian Men, I adapted a fabulous book by Dr. Robert Weiss um, for a faith-based audience. It's his core material. I just got to do the fun part, add, <laughs> uh, add faith illustrations and talk about the heart. Um, so those are the primary ones. Um, I've written a, and edited a clinical textbook for treating female sex addicts. Uh, called "Making Advances: uh, Comprehensive yeah. Guide for Treating Female Sex and Love Addicts." Um, so those those are the the primary ones.
1: Oh yeah, uh, all excellent resources. Thank you. Yes, and Marnie, thank you for man thank for you. taking the time just always fun to sit with you and just, uh, I, I could do this, you know, we, we just go to about 10 o'clock if you're good with that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe another day. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. always a joy. I, I love you and Eva and so appreciate your work and it's a joy to be with you today. Thank you.
1: Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, just so appreciate you.
2: Take care. All
1: right.
0: To learn more about what you've heard today and to engage with the Sex, God, and Chaos team, visit sexgodchaos.com.